0: Hello, everybody. It's Nora McNerney. Welcome to the Terrible Reading Club. This is the easiest book club that you're ever going to join because chances are we're never going to meet in real life. I shouldn't say never because every time I say never, then I come up with another idea. So honestly, who knows? This time next year, we could all be meeting in real life. Right now, I am formulating. An idea for a reading retreat just came into my mind, which means I have to do it. And this time next year, we're all going to be staying together in a compound somewhere. Are we starting a cult? I would never use that word personally. So it's September. This is when I have that itch to go back to school. Even though going back to school filled me with anxiety, I stayed up all night For many nights before we started sixth grade, because in sixth grade at my school, we moved from the grade school over to the middle school. So that was a move of 25 yards, and we were given a locker. And I had never used a locker outside of the lockers at the YMCA, which didn't have locks at my YMCA, and which still gave me trouble. I was so sure I would not know how to use a locker and everyone was going to laugh at me, I forgot that no one else in my grade had had a locker either. We'd just been shoving our stuff into desks since kindergarten, desks and cubby holes. So if you are a teacher who has already been back to school, I live in Arizona, we've been in school for weeks at this point, or you are going back to school, one, thank you for your service. It is truly such a service. I am so glad that there are people like you willing to do that job because if the pandemic taught me anything, it's that I am not a teacher. And if you are not a teacher and you also kind of miss that going back to school vibe, I am here to let you know that as adults, we can create that for ourselves. We can. We can go out and get ourselves a new notebook. We can go buy ourselves fresh pens, folders. I really do think we should be using folders more, not in the digital file management sense. Anyone who works with me knows I'm not going to do that. But I love paper. I think we should be exchanging more of it. Everybody needs a trapper keeper. Start carrying a backpack if you're not already. This is sort of a back-to-not-school episode. So I am not talking to an author. In this episode, I'm not talking to anyone. I guess I'm just talking to myself and I'm talking to all of you. And I'm going to talk about a few books that if you are not ready to let go of summer, will kind of give you a way to grip onto that summer feeling, hold on to that summer loving just a little bit longer. Then I'm going to talk about some of the books that I am currently reading that I'm not done with yet and uh, some of the books that are on my list coming up this month. We no longer have a Pizza Hut book it, personal pan pizza to look forward to. So I'm wondering for all of you, if you would be interested over on our Substack, which is where we convene. We do weekly book giveaways. We can chat about books, all that stuff. There's I think 600 of us over there right now, if I make us a little reading chart (laughs) that you can print out and put in a folder and give yourself stickers for and you fill it out, then maybe the whole class can earn a pizza party. What's a pizza party when it comes to a podcast? I don't know yet. I don't know, but we can figure that all out. So go over to the Substack to chat about that. It's just called Terrible Reading Club, which is not terribly clever, is it? So, this was actually a pretty good reading summer for me this year. I do consider it a part of my job to read, but it's also whenever somebody asks me what my hobbies are, I feel an intense sense of panic immediately because I think, oh, I should really have something good to share. They want they want to hear about how much I love mountain climbing. They want to hear about extreme sports. They don't want to hear that my hobby is sitting alone in a quiet room with a book, but that is that is my hobby. And if I am traveling, I read a book on the plane. My favorite kind of book is the kind that can be read in a plane ride, and I have a few that fit that bill. The first, I am so tardy to this party that I am embarrassed to admit it, lessons in chemistry. Lessons in chemistry is a flight book. Somebody else told me that they read it when they were delayed in the airport for four hours, and it was the perfect book to read when your flight has been delayed for four hours. I picked it up while traveling and thought, you know, it's a New York Times bestseller. It was one of Reese's book picks. I'd avoided it because of the cover, which is one of those graphics that's very, I can't remember the word for it, but like those graphics where you can tell it's a woman, but there's no real features to it, you know, like a messy bun with a pencil in it, some cat eye-ish glasses, frames, the title of the book in a really bold font. On a hot pink i judge the book by the cover is what i'm saying and i don't dislike the cover but i assumed that it was a rom-com and i have to be in a very specific mood for a rom-com but instead this is the story of a sort of strange woman in the 1960s a fish out of water in the sense that she is ahead of her time she is beyond her time she is a chemist in an era where that was not a viable career for women, and she finds herself in unwitting Julia Child slash Martha Stewart character with her own TV show. She is, in my estimation, probably neurodivergent. This book is what I love in a novel, which is a quirky lady doing things that people don't understand, who doesn't really understand why other people don't understand it, a very neat and tidy storyline where everything ties together in the end. There were a few clues that other people didn't see coming. I usually never see something coming. Any twist in a book, I'm liable to break my neck, but I saw the slight twist in this one. I was like, ooh, look at me putting together these context clues. It all works out in the end, which is not a spoiler. I think that's how most books do end. And that's what I want in a novel most of the time, or in a novel that looks like this. I found the writing really peppy. A few people said it didn't seem realistic internal dialogue for a woman of that era, but I'm not a woman of that era, so I simply could not make that judgment at all. There was just enough quirk and just enough grief, which I was not expecting at all from this cover. So Lessons in Chemistry was exactly what I needed it to be at exactly the right time. Another book I picked up while I was traveling and read Saying all this makes it sound like I'm traveling all the time. These were like brief work trips most of the time this summer. I happen to be traveling for work. I always try to pop into a local bookstore. I popped into Diesel Books in Brentwood, California. First, when I was walking into the bookstore, I saw Jane Fonda. And that's really maybe why I liked this book so much, I think, because I wasn't expecting it. I was like, who's that lady? And at first I thought it was my mom because my mom and Jane Fonda do share very similar features, a similar way of walking. And honestly, they dress alike. It was not my mom. It was Jane Fonda, who I think is 10 years older than my mom. But Hollywood 80-something is probably commensurate with a Midwest- 70-something. I think the exchange rate tracks as far as I know. The book is called Friends Like These by Meg Rosoff. I might be saying her name wrong. It's R-O-S-O-F-F. It's technically, I think it might be considered YA, but it doesn't feel like it. It takes place in New York City in 1983. So it is a summer book Because it takes place in summer. It is sweltering hot. And there is a girl who doesn't quite fit in, who finds herself pushed into a New York City world that she wants to be a part of, but is also frightened by and intimidated by. And she finds herself clinging to this kind of odd girl who is a born and bred. New Yorker and they are both interns at the same newspaper. They kind of form an alliance against the two guys that also have the internship. And this is like a friend romance to me where I love a book where the relationship between two women, specifically young women, is the most important part of the story because being this age where you're trying to figure yourself out, you're trying to figure the world out. Your friendships can be just as, if not more, intense than any flirtation or romantic relationship. And while I was an infant in the year 1983, in the year 2006, seven, I lived in New York City. I felt so out of place. I felt so out of place. I did not belong at all. And my friendships with the girls, and I say, I mean, I know we should say women at that age, but no, like we were girls. We were girls. And those relationships were so intense. They got me through. And in many ways, like they almost did me in. And this is a novel that centers that relationship, a very intense friendship between two young girls, and it's called Friends Like These by Meg Rosoff. Apparently she has other books, and I am going to read the heck out of those. Never come here for breaking book news. I will typically be either the only person to have read a book or the very last person to have read a book. I will never be a person who's like spotting a book trend everybody told me to read Emma Klein's The Guest. And by everybody, I mean everybody on TikTok was talking about Emma Klein's The Guest. Emma Klein also wrote The Girls, which was, I mean, essentially I would categorize it as not Ted Bundy fanfic. Who's the other guy? Emma Klein, The Girls is about Manson Family. Okay. So The Girls' Manson Family Fanfic is, is how I read it. And I really struggled to get into that book when it came out. It took me two or three tries of starting it at night on my you know tablet and then falling asleep and finally just giving up. So I was not a person who thought, oh, I've got to read The Guest. I do love the cover of this book. And honestly, that is what we do is we judge it by the cover It's this beautiful green with this gorgeous, gorgeous blue, and it's just, oh, there's just a hand reaching out, and it conveys longing, and I love longing. I love anything that is unrequited. After I also just told you I love something with a neat and tidy ending, we contain multitudes in ourselves in the books that we read. So the guest takes place over a week. We meet this girl, the protagonist. She is swimming. She is about to drown. She doesn't, or this would have been an incredibly short book, but we learn that she is a sex worker, that she is sort of somebody's girlfriend, but the relationship is obviously imbalanced. He is older. He is rich. She is a thing of beauty. She is an object and when he tells her to leave his house, it is apparent just how little this girl has to tether her to this world. We follow her for a week while she bides her time thinking, by Labor Day, he'll have forgiven me. I can show up and all will be well. The writing is so Spare. There is not a word wasted. And this protagonist is not the most likable of girls, although I felt this tenderness, this protectiveness, this sort of wanting to wrap my arms around her and make her make different decisions. She makes horrible decisions. She makes horrible decisions. You can tell that even if she made all the right decisions... Her situation would be difficult to say the least and would probably still feel impossible. And there's something about the juxtaposition of this girl who has nothing but her own beauty being cast out into a world of wealth where all the doors are essentially locked to her and watching her try to survive in this environment that is so compelling. My friend, actually, my you know, second cousin, Claire McInerney, part of our part of our organization, part of our team here, said it is the most compelling book about nothing I've ever read. Because nothing really happens, and yet everything happens, and it's about nothing, and it's also about class, which I love. I love books that explore class and power and who has it and who doesn't and i really like this is the kind of book that is staying on my bookshelf as i like look there i know exactly where i'm going to shelve it which is novels i would read again and it takes place in that last gasp of summer right before labor day unless you live in I guess, pretty much all of America right now where we are having record high temperatures. And I live in the Sonoran Desert here in Phoenix, Arizona, and it has been over 100 degrees for most of the days this summer. Let's not get into that. I also read a book that I would have never picked up except that I was supposed to join a book club not as a member, but as a guest. This book club had read Bad Vibes Only, my most recent book. And I said, yeah, I'll join you. And then through a series of mishaps, technological, and just myself-related, I didn't make it. And they said, don't worry, we're meeting again next month. Here's the book. It's not my book. It's a book called Wayward by Amelia Hart. I bought it to make it up to them. And I really did not want to open it because it is magical realism. And I never read the book flaps or the back of books before I buy them. I either want to read it or I don't. I think sometimes the exception is obviously nonfiction books. I will. But if it's a novel, I do like to be surprised. But It was shelved in in magical realism. I bought it. There's a giant crow on the cover. And I was like, oh God, what's this gonna be about? And then the background is really busy and there's like florals and insects. And I just thought, oh God, okay, here we go. It's gonna be about like, I don't know, witches or something, bingo. Yes, it is. It is a braided narrative that takes place in the 1600s, in the 1940s and in present day And yes, it is witchcraft. Yes, it is inheritance and yes, class and magic and feminism. And I tore through that one. I actually gave it to my daughter to read first because she loves that stuff. We were out in the Utah desert on a family trip and what better time to read than when You're just surrounded by nature's beauty and also by a ton of screaming kids, your own and other people's. She read that book in a day. She handed it to me. I finished it also pretty quickly. It was a page turner. I could keep up. Sometimes a braided narrative. I'm like, I don't know where I am. Wait, it's a 1600s now? Wait, who's this person? Wait, how does this all fit together? It fits together. If you are into this kind of thing, you will love it. If you are not, I think it could be a great book to get from the library. It could be honestly, it's probably a really good audio book as well. But it was also a nice surprise to know that I really can enjoy something and find a lot of value in something, even if it isn't my normal fare. I actually just loaned that one out. Two to to a friend/slash neighbor. So that's a book that I really enjoyed. I can't wait to join that book club to talk with them. And also, that is the kind of book where I'll read it and I'll pass it on and it's okay if it doesn't come back. Does that make sense? Nothing against the author. We simply cannot keep every book we've ever read. We can't. All right, we're gonna take a little break and then we'll be back with what I'm in progress reading, and my TBR pile. I have an erratic list of books that I am in the middle of right now. The first is No Bad Parts by Dr. Richard C. Schwartz. So if you've heard people talking about internal family systems, this is kind of, I mean, this is the book from the guy who invented internal family systems. It is the kind of therapy that I am working on right now, and I thought, yes, I need extra credit in therapy, so I better read this. So I'm going to actually read you an excerpt of it because this is, I think, this is a good summary of what the book is about. To me, I don't think anybody wants you to paraphrase a nonfiction book for them that's about mental health. I could be wrong. Please let me know if I am, but. If you are a person who has struggled even to like find a kind of therapy that works with you or, you know, has really struggled to like feel good about yourself, one, give internal family systems a Google, see if there's a qualified therapist by you who can work with you on it. And also give this book a read because this book has also given me things to talk about in therapy. But what I really loved was like right from the jump, he is talking about our culture as a whole. I'm going to read you a couple things that I flagged and highlighted. This is literally on the first page, okay? So he's talking about the goal of internal family systems and helping his clients Keep the striving, materialistic, competitive parts of them that had dominated their lives from regaining dominance so they can explore what else is inside them. In doing so, I can help them access what I call the self, an essence of calm, clarity, compassion, and connectedness, and from that place begin to listen to the parts of them that have been exiled by more dominant ones." Those clients and the rest of us didn't come to be dominated by those striving, materialistic, and competitive parts by accident. Those are the same parts that dominate most of the countries on our planet, and particularly my country, the United States. When my clients are in the grip of those particular parts, they have little regard for the damage they're doing to their health and relationships. Similarly, countries obsessed with unlimited growth have little regard for their impact on the majority of their people or the health of the climate and the earth such mindless striving of people or of countries usually leads to a crash of some sort i'd never heard of the mono mind belief system which is something that he calls like our prevailing belief system right where you would say i am this kind of person full stop I'm this kind of person. I am this. And if you were raised in a family or a culture or a belief system where people were either good or bad, things were either good or bad, and black and white thinking was the norm, internal family systems and this book is really going to do a number. On you. There's a lot about shame. There's a lot about self esteem. There's a lot about hiding flaws and perfectionism and how those things are all connected and they're so deeply unhealthy. So, when we think about ourselves as all good or all bad, when we think of each other as all good or bad, that's where I mean, that's why the self help industry exists, right? Because everything is all on you. And so, you should be able to. Fix it. And he says, right in the first chapter, he comes for that. He says, the emphasis on willpower and self-control permeates American culture. We think we should be able to discipline our primitive, impulsive, sinful minds through willpower. The idea of taking responsibility for oneself and not making excuses is as American as apple pie. Sadly, our worship of willpower has been used by politicians and pundits to justify increasing levels of income disparity. We're taught that people are poor because they lack self control and that rich people are wealthy because they have it, despite research to the contrary. Studies show, for example, that lower income people become empowered and productive once they are given enough money to cover their basic survival needs. Like, no, duh, of course, we know that, but to see that be the basis of a book to have that be established as a ground rule before getting into examining your own self was really really different than a lot of you know books of this nature that I have seen collected read dissected so i am not done with this i am not done with this i am on page 54 okay i'm on page 54 And there is a hundred and I think 90 pages. And so, you know, I can't do that math, but I'm in progress with that one. Um, And I love it. And I can see myself hopefully maybe even interviewing him someday, but I'm at least talking with my therapist about it. I used to be a person who could only read one book at a time, just one book at a time. No more than that, I thought like, my brain just needs to focus on one book. I actually think that my ADHD brain prefers to have a couple books going at once. Sometimes I will just dive in and finish one, but if I can't do that, then being able to dip in and out of a few kinds of books helps me. I don't think I could have two novels in progress, but that's a nonfiction book. And this is a novel that is coming out in January, 2024. It's by Emily Austin, and it's called Interesting Facts About Space. And Emily Austin wrote one of my favorite books of either last year or the year before. Can't remember when I read it. Can't remember when it came out. She wrote the book, Everyone in This Room Will Someday Be Dead. And that book is funny and strange and lovely and wonderful. And this book is the same and different. It's such a peculiar little story. I don't really know where it's going. I just know that there is a woman with an irrational fear of bald men who knows a lot of interesting facts about space And right near the beginning of the book, she gets a frantic phone call from a woman asking if she's sleeping with her wife. And it turns out she is. And so what we know about this woman so far, she is a depressed lesbian who loves space and is afraid of bald men. And some strange things are happening in her apartment. And I just love the way that Emily Austin... Writes. My mom taught me to watch the oven. When she cooks, she stays beside the food. She has a stool she sits on in her kitchen. It is important, she says, to keep an eye on a hot oven. She also says for her, it's like watching a show. She likes to witness cookies rise, butter melt, and the edges of vegetables blacken. She turns the oven light on, looks through the window in the door, and watches the food turn brown and hiss. I keep abandoning my baking to ensure my door is locked and to look out my peephole. I put both hands on either side of the hole before peeking out. There are red cake-battered handprints on my door. Each time I spot them, they startle me. I think, are those my bloodied handprints? Am I a ghost? Did my neighbor kill me earlier? Am I trapped in here reliving my attempted escape for eternity? Then I remember that I am baking a cake and rush back to the oven to watch it rise. I don't know where this book is going. I'll keep you updated. I know it's on pre-order right now. Emily Austin is one of those authors. She only has one other book out, Everyone in This Room Will Someday Be Dead, about a depressed lesbian who takes a job working the office at a Catholic church and starts a correspondence with the friend of the dead woman who had the job before her. I love how interior these books are and how clear the protagonist's voice is. I know this is going to be one I love, even though I'm very early on in it. Whew, this also a nonfiction book. One of the episodes on Terrible Thanks for Asking this month September 2023, is called Claire Has a Secret. It's about a young girl who was secretly struggling with suicidal ideation, with depression, with anxiety. She was a kid, a middle schooler, when she made a plan to end her life, wrote a note, and thankfully never used it. That is a different kind of suicide story than the ones that we have told on Terrible Thanks for Asking in the past. Typically, we have talked to people in the wake of surviving the suicide of somebody they love. So it's a very different kind of episode, but as a person who spends a lot of time personally and professionally thinking about and talking about depression. I have not always wanted to read about it. I've not always wanted to read about it, but I have been hacking my way through The Noonday Demon, in Atlas of Depression by Andrew Solomon. This is a big, juicy, hefty book, okay? This is, the font is so small, The index and bibliography and notes are almost 100 pages. There's quite a lot of pages of notes and bibliography and all of that, but it is an exploration of uh, historical and present-day depression. Andrew Solomon is just kind of one of those big, famous writers that I'd always heard of but I would not read any of his work. I don't know if this is the right one to start with, but I have, it is very informative. It reads really quickly. It reads like a very, it reads like a magazine piece, like a Vanity Fair piece where you're like, I just need to see where this is going. And it's been very, very informative. Also, Darkness Visible, William Styron, this is his very, 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 very short Book about his spiral into depression. It was first published in 1990. He experienced depression for the first time in 1985. It's called a memoir of madness. William Styron is the author of *Sophie's Choice* and *Lie Down in Darkness*. And it's it's really interesting to me to hear him write that he had not experienced depression until he was 60. Some of that writing, I think, are you sure, buddy? Are you sure? Did you just not have words for it? Or did you just have a functional level of depression? Not to say that you must have depression to write depressing things. I think you can possibly, it's it's probably possible for some people to do both. I've only ever lived in my own brain, unfortunately. But this will take you maybe 15 minutes to read, and you can find it at most used bookstores because it's, again, it's pretty old. But this was a part that I underlined. The depression that engulfed me was not of the manic type, the one accompanied by euphoric highs, which would have probably presented itself earlier in my life. I was 60 when the illness struck for the first time in the unipolar form, which leads straight down. I shall never learn what caused my depression, as no one will ever learn about their own. To be able to do so will likely forever prove to be an impossibility. So complex are the intermingled factors of abnormal chemistry, behavior, and genetics. Plainly, multiple components are involved, perhaps three or four, most probably more, in fathomless permutations. This is why the greatest fallacy about suicide lies in the belief that there is a single immediate answer or perhaps combined answers, as to why the deed was done. The inevitable question, why did he or she do it, usually leads to odd speculations, for the most part, fallacies themselves. The people that he's talking about next are people he knew who had died by suicide. Reasons were quickly advanced for Abby Hoffman's death, his reaction to an auto accident he had suffered, the failure of his most recent book, His Mother's Serious Illness. With Randall Jarrell, it was a declining career cruelly epitomized by a vicious book review and his consequent anguish. Primo Levi, it was rumored, had been burdened by caring for his paralytic mother, which was more onerous to his spirit than even his experience at Auschwitz. Any one of these factors may have lodged like a thorn in the sides of the three men and been a torment. Such aggravations may be crucial and cannot be ignored, But most people quietly endure the equivalent of injuries, declining careers, nasty book reviews, family illnesses. A vast majority of the survivors of Auschwitz have borne up fairly well. Bloody and bowed by the outrages of life, most human beings still stagger on down the road, unscathed by real depression. Damn, the man can write. There's, you know, of course there's outdated language, but it's, it's, if you felt any of these things... To read about them could be, might be helpful. I don't know. I can't pretend to know you. <phone rings> Checks, watch. I got nothing going on. We're fine. Let's keep going. Okay. Another book that follows this same vein that connects back to the topic over on Terrible Things for Asking, which you may or may not listen to, but I really am very proud of that episode as well, is this memoir by the late Heather B. Armstrong. It's called The Valedictorian of Being Dead, The True Story of Dying 10 Times to Live. Heather Armstrong was one of the OG bloggers to make a life and a career out of that. She is right up there with Jenny Lawson and I can't name another one. Women who, yes, were mothers. Motherhood was a part of their story, but it wasn't the central story. Women who established themselves on the internet by talking about themselves. Heather's blog and her Instagram handle were called Deuce, D-O-O-C-E. I discovered it in my 20s before I knew how to categorize the very intense feelings of despair that I, I feel like I've been having my entire life. And I read her blog posts religiously. I would spend hours of paid work time at my many internships, apologies, apologies, apologies. I was the, literally the world's worst intern. My own time at college, just sitting in my dorm using a desktop computer hardwired into the Ethernet, reading her writing, which was so funny and witty and like, you know, rude. And just, she was just such a force. She truly, in many ways, paved the way for people to be able to make a living on the internet by being, quote unquote, you know, like by being themselves. And she was always very open about her mental health or lack of it. She died by suicide this year, 2023, after a lot of really strange you know, problematic things happening on the internet. I had, I had checked out from her at, at some point in, in time. Um, And so I know that people feel very, very strongly about this person, the good and the bad. And uh, like I said, after, you know, reading part of internal family systems and working on things like that with my therapist, I think most of us are partially have good parts and have, well, apparently no bad parts, no bad parts we all we all do do bad things and we do good things and we are all complex human beings and i don't know this person personally but i did not read this book about her attempting to treat her persistent depression and suicidal ideation by essentially signing herself up for this treatment where you know she would basically Go brain dead for 15 minutes and then be brought back to life. In it was a it was a clinical trial. It was an experimental treatment, all in an effort to kind of cure her of this horrible disease, this horrible feeling. And obviously, it didn't work. It didn't work. She's dead. That I'm not meaning that to sound flip. I don't mean that in a flippant way at all. She's a parent. And I read this book after she had died. I'd known it was out there. I had thought about reading it. I think I'd even put it on hold at my library. And I bought this in the wake of her death, thinking, I really just, it's really, it's very, very hard to read about a person who really tried to stay alive. And Had children that she loved very deeply and cared very deeply about. And she was very, very, very much struggling with a lot of things. And whatever she put on the internet was not the full story. And obviously, neither is this book. But The Valedictorian and Being Dead, I think it is still in print. I got a used copy. So I read that too. Okay. Now we are going on to TBR. (laughs) Now we're going on to TBR. Can you keep up? can you keep up? I'm literally looking around me at piles of books to be like, what are the things that I was going to read? Okay. I've got a couple things on my TBR. These were books that were sent to me from publishers. A benefit of being a writer, having a podcast is that people tend to send you their books and ask you to read them. And you know, I, I can't read all the books, but if something really strikes my interest, I'll say, send it to me. I'll say, send it to me. Will I always read it? I sure will try to. So, Glossy. The book is Glossy by Marissa Meltzer. It is the story of Glossier, a iconic millennial brand. Can we have iconic millennial brands? I think so. I am excited to read this book. Because Marissa is a very talented writer. Marissa is a very talented writer. Glossier is a fascinating story. And I'm also a little afraid to read this book because I'm just hoping that it is not a takedown. You know, I think we tend to have really, really harsh takes about. Women, especially in the professional space, especially women who are like reaching for, you know, that glass ceiling in a capitalistic society that they did not invent, but certainly are a part of and are perpetuating and are benefiting from. And we tend to look at them a little bit more critically than, you know, men who. Have done, frankly, much worse. You know, I'm always like, guys, have you heard of the Koch brothers? Like, where's their juicy memoir? Although I think that they are generally dull men. I'm willing to bet. I've never met either Koch brother. If you know them to be, you know, sexy, dynamic dinner partners, please let me know and I'll issue an apology. But the subtitle of this book is Ambition, Beauty, and the Inside Story of Emily Weiss's Glossier. Emily Weiss was one of many female CEOs who had big, big brands in you know, the 2010s and seemed to girl boss a little close to the sun. So that is one that just arrived at my PO box, and I'm going to sit down and read that at some point. Here's another one. George George has been on my list for forever. This one was sent to me. We actually have a few copies to give out to listeners. We do all of our book giveaways over on our Substack. George is a memoir by Frida Hughes, who is the daughter of Sylvia Plath and Ted Hughes. It is a memoir of her raising a baby magpie that she found after a storm. I'm honestly just frankly nosy. I'm just nosy. I'm I'm just nosy to know more about the daughter of Sylvia Plath and what that would mean to grow up as a girl whose mother was and is a symbol, a hero to sad girl's Everywhere. I don't know if anyone else in their depressed teenage state kind of worshiped Sylvia Pleth, but I think that's a very common teen girl experience. And I also know that Frida is her own person. We are not our parents. I, I guarantee you the most interesting thing about her is not who her parents are. So I am really interested in this one. And we have copies of that one if anyone else is. And finally, This has been on my list for forever. I've had it. It's been sitting right here. I see it every day. And every day, I think I'm going to crack open creep. So the subtitle of this book is Accusations and Confessions. So she's talking about being a creep. She's talking about uh, creeps of history. I'll report back on this one, perhaps in... October or over on the Substack, I'll let you know what I thought of this, but that is also on my TBR for September. We are not necessarily going back to school, but we are going to create our own little back to school moment, our back to school feeling, put books on your book list, go over into the Substack. Let's do a little sharing library. If you have something you want to send to somebody, send it to them. We do giveaways once a week over there. When I have books that I love but don't necessarily need to keep, that's where you can go. And I will give them to you. I will mail them to you. I have to do a slight disclaimer, which is like right now I can only mail books to the US. At first I said the US and Canada. And you have to know that shipping is so bananas right now. I support the US Postal Service. I'm a passionate USPS user. When I go to the post office, and people try to complain about the post office to me, I shut it down. I say, I'm not the girl for you. I'm not here to disparage the the fine people of the United States Parcel Service at all, or Postal Service, whatever that P stands for. However, shipping to Canada, I shipped a book a week ago, it was $30. Like Guys, I can't, I just can't, I'm just, I can't do that, I can't do that. I can send books to the U.S., And I'm sorry if that's not fair. There's always one listener who is in Australia who's like, What about me? And I'm like, No, I can't. I can't, Melia. I can't do an Australian accent or a New Zealand accent. And they are different. They are music to my ears. And anytime I'm around an Australian person or a person from New Zealand, I shut up because I know that my body and my brain are going to start like trying to make their accent happen and it's not going to happen. The best i can do is to try to like tame my midwestern accent down a little bit, but like my vowels want to they want to go through my nasal cavity more than anywhere else. Anyways, this is terrible reading club. The next time you hear from us, we will be talking to an author again. We're doing these episodes twice a month. They come out on Sundays. They come out on Sundays now because I just thought there's really not that much to look forward to on Sundays. <laughs> so so what if we just did these on Sundays? Let's just do these on Sundays. So we do these on Sundays. Let me know over on the substack if there is anything else that you want, don't want. We had Kate Kennedy on a recent episode and she was the hit of this century. If any of you want to join me to talk about what's on your TBR, I am open to that. I am open to all of that. I really do want this to feel like a fun little get together every time you hear from us. And it's hard to feel that way when it's just me sitting in a pair of overalls in my office, sweating my face off, because it's always hot in Arizona. And I turn my air conditioning off so that you don't have to hear like, and you'll only hear that when the motorcycles go by, which is every 30 seconds. So thank you for being here. Terrible Reading Club is a production of Feelings & Co. We are a company making independent podcasts. And I have to say... It's different, guys. It is different. It is different when you are making stuff on your own. I would not want it any other way. But when you are listening to an independent podcast, you are truly supporting like a small business and the people who make this stuff because they love it. So thank you. Thank you for listening and for sharing this with people that you love or people you hate. Thank you for being here and for the ratings and the reviews and all of it. A reminder that all of these books and all of the books that we've ever talked about on this podcast are available in our show description. Well, the books we talked about today are in the show description. And so is a link to our bookshop on bookshop.org, which has all the books we've ever talked about. And shopping through those links helps support this little show. So thank you. I love doing this job and I love doing it with all of you. So until next time, keep reading and stay terrible. Our team on Terrible Reading Club is myself, Claire McInerney, Megan Palmer, Marcel Malikibu, and Kara Nesvig. Yay!